Kids, you can uh, kids, you can head off to Kids Zone. Yeah, thank you, Ariel. As you were singing that song, I was reminded of a testimony I heard years ago. Um, Olympic-winning skateboarder, snowboarder, not skateboarder. I was thinking skateboarder. And uh, she recalled a time on the slopes. It was a competition, and one of her competitors. Uh, had a bat, had a, a wipeout, and she did not, uh, you know, she got down to the a- end of the hill, and then she overheard a friend going to this, to this lady, and uh, she was quite devastated. I mean, you work <laughs> four years to get to this, and you don't have your best showing by far, and she said, it's okay, God still loves you. The winner was struck by that comment, God still loves you. And she realized that so much of her sense of worth was built on how well she did in the competition. She ended up knocking, they were staying in the same uh, block or whatever, and she ended up knocking on the door of that girl, and she said, uh, can I ask you a question? You said something there on the slope today, and I'm still thinking about it. Well, the long and short of it is they became friends, and she ended up coming to faith as a result of it. So, uh, yeah, I will build my life on a sure foundation. We often talk about faith and coming to faith as something that will enhance one's life, bringing more peace and more harmony to one's relationship and home. But for Lee and Leslie, what threatened to shipwreck their their marriage wasn't an old flame, it was Jesus Christ. Leslie's decision to become a follower of Jesus brought heated opposition from her skeptical husband. As Lee recalls, our values began to clash, our attitudes started to conflict, and our priorities and desires were suddenly at odds. They began to experience conflict over a variety of issues from finances to child raising. More than once, while Lee and Leslie were spiritually mismatched, Lee predicted that their marriage would end in divorce. Mentally, he had thrown in the towel. But through a variety of circumstances, they were rescued from that fate. Before it was too late, Leslie learned how to live out her faith in a way that began to attract Lee rather than repel him. Indeed, today they're both Christians, and their book, Surviving a Spiritual Mismatch, In that, they share hope and wisdom that God gave them, each of them, to be positively influential in settings of spiritual mismatch and conflict. Some of the nuggets of biblical wisdom they share are found in a text that we will be looking at today, 1 Peter chapter 3. I invite you, if you have your Bibles, to turn to that. Now, while historians of the time, in that time and place that Peter was writing, first century, Asia Minor, Women had some religious freedom, we know. But most scholars are agreed that when a woman thus struck out on her own, enjoyed a religion different from her husband's, that could be seen as an act of insubordination. You know, for example, I've talked to people where ancestor worship, and if you become a Christian and you don't do that, that creates a conflict in your home. It was one thing to have one's faith be seen as a, a deadly superstition by the state, uh, quoted uh, the Roman historian Tacitus the other week, or by one's master if one was a slave, and we saw that in chapter 2. 
But how was one to live out one's faith if doing so was seen as an act of insubordination within one's own home? Well, let's read 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 to 12. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil." In these verses, if you've been following along in Peter, you will know he's now turning to a third and actually a final class or group of people with an ongoing focus of how followers of Jesus ought to live in their interactions with the world. First, he started large, you know, with the governing authorities, and then with owners and bosses, and now in a spiritually mismatched home. Each of these are specific points where Christians interact directly with the world. And in chapter 3, he addresses their home life, beginning with wives, mostly who have come to faith in Christ and whose husbands have not, at least not yet. They were probably a significant number of women in this situation and needed wise biblical counsel on how they ought to live in a spiritual mismatch. Peter's specific word to wives begins with a call to submit yourselves to your own husband's ultimately so that they may be won over to Christ by the behavior of their wives. The importance of their positive witness is developed further in verses 3 to 4, where, they, where he is, addresses their, their outer and inner appearance, encouraging them to put the emphasis and effort on the latter, the inner and unfading beauty of godly character. A very different place where the emphasis, where the world puts the emphasis, yes, on, Right? And in in verses 5 and 6, Peter will identify the kind of supermodels that they ought to pattern their lives after. And Christian husbands are addressed in the next and told to do likewise. Submit in kind, 
Maybe not necessarily, but be a positive witness, put an emphasis on godly character. And he, he goes on to describe it as being considerate and respectful to their wives so that nothing will hinder their prayers. We're going to look at each of these in more detail, but I wanted to give an overview. And before we look in detail, I want to acknowledge how hard it is for many, especially women, this day to hear in this text good news. Clearly, there are historical and cultural differences that make this challenging. But in our own recent history, people, often men, have used this text to put and keep women in subordination. Unfortunately, many Christian wives have remained in abusive marriages because they have been taught, maybe back in chapter 2, that the suffering example of Christ and Peter's command here to submit that it requires them to stay in any and every situation, including betrayal and abuse. It is not. Far too often, abusive male power has been left unchallenged, and instead, it ought to be exposed to the light of truth and the victim shielded and sheltered from it. And given how Jesus shielded and supported a woman caught in adultery, where she was clearly, his will is to do this for others when power is being misused and abused against them. Peter's command to husbands in verse 7 is clearly in sync, I would say, with Jesus' words and should be read and heard in that light. That's my preface. And I'm... uh, on a MCC, Mennonite Central Committee Advisory Group for Abuse Prevention and Response. And so I know of many stories and people who have experienced that. Well, let's look at the text in a little more detail. Peter's counsel to wives is to submit yourselves. Notice it's submit voluntarily. This is something you do, not something imposed upon you. And while the command for wives to submit to their husbands is generally in sync, in line with the norms of that day, the whole motivation is rooted, for a believing wife, is rooted in a very different source. Not social expectations, which can change, but in her commitment and obedience to Christ. Rather than undermine her relationship to her husband, faith should strengthen it, enabling one to respond in Christ-like ways even when one spouse doesn't, because that's hard. That's hard in a mismatched home and in a spiritually matched home. I was watching uh, recently the, the new movie King Richard, the story of Richard Williams, the father of Serena and Venus Williams. And there's a conversation that takes place about 90 minutes along into the movie that stood out to me. And by then, we know that Richard can be a difficult person. You know, he's persistent, which also means he's stubborn and controlling. And him and his wife get into a heated disagreement in the kitchen over some of his decisions. And his wife, Oracine, says to her husband, Richard, you think I'm staying here because of you? I stay here because of my girls. I stay here because I answer to something higher than Richard Williams. And you better be glad. Because if I was staying here for you, I would have been gone a long time ago. And what stood out to me was that she had a higher purpose. 
I don't know whether she's a believer. I think there is faith in the family, but I'm not sure. But it was a higher purpose and power that enabled her to persevere and to keep from growing bitter. A kind of secret strength. And it is also worth noting that Peter addresses wives as independent moral agents whose decision to turn to Christ he supports and whose goal to win their husbands he encourages. This was radical in that day. An important part of one's witness is nurturing Christian character and behavior. And so Peter challenges wives to work against any inclination they have to become engrossed in personal appearance and attire based on cultural messages or the expectations of others, including maybe their own husbands. Now, we know that hair was braided in elaborate ways in that day, and well-to-do women tried to keep up with the latest fashions then as they do now. In fact, it costs the average woman in our day for personal appearances. They spend about $14 a day, which works out to over $5,000 a year, which over the course of a lifetime, they had a recent study that did this all, uh, over $300,000 over the course of one's lifetime. Got to stay beautiful. Wow, what a cost to that. So uh, now Peter, he addresses some of the specifics. You know, they seem to never go out of date. Elaborate hairstyles, gold jewelry, fine clothes. Whatever the specifics, what he is getting at is he's challenging a whole way of thinking that has a misplaced emphasis. emphasis. He's encouraging a more fruitful way of living. Basically, modesty and simplicity. This would have lessened the social and economic distinctions within the church, because most of them would have been poor. Somebody who could afford that, would, that class distinction would stand out. And if you, uh, you know, take the edges off that, it would also help promote harmony. And it would also free up money for ministry. In fact, Luke chapter 8, verse 3, that says, you know, you wonder how did Jesus and his disciples do all of this ministry tour? It says there were some wealthy women supporting them out of their own means. I think a model. So ultimately, Peter's focus here is positive. This kind of virtuous living, he says, is of great worth in God's eyes. Who's the ultimate audience? And he singles out the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit as the kind of adornment that never goes out of style. That language of, of gentle, it's, it indicates a person in the Bible who does not retaliate because the person knows that God is just and can be trusted to set things right. That's why you can be gentle. Okay? It's also a described of Jesus. And a quiet spirit doesn't mean silent, but the sense of being calm, peaceful, as opposed to restless, rebellious, or insubordinate. That's the idea here. The supermodels of the past who put their faith in God and used to adorn themselves like this, Peter says, they're there. Not that they were perfect people, but models who embodied and illustrated what it can look like to be a Christian citizen, which looked like at a Christian employer or employee or a spouse. Sarah, for example, Abraham's wife and founding, the founding mother of Israel in Genesis. Obeyed Abraham, he says, and called him her Lord. I've often wondered, how, how does Peter know this? Well, there is a verse 
And he was probably referring to it in Genesis 18, verse 12. Um, She has been told that, you know, she is past childbearing age, but the angel of the Lord comes and says that she's going to have a son. They're going to have a son. And, And she says, after I am worn out and my master is old, will I now have this pleasure of a child? So I think it's a a word of respect that she's using towards Abraham. Respectful. Peter will also talk about that. And can I say how troubling I find it when spouses show signs of disrespect or disdain for one another? Um, Parents, the best... The best gift that you can give your children is a healthy relationship with one another, with your spouse. It's the best gift that you can give them. It really is. Nothing can make up for an unhealthy one. Well, husbands, God's command to husbands in verse 7 is very clear. Be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and heirs with you of the gift of life. The Christian husband, Peter says, is neither demanding nor selfish in his sexual or marital relationship. Instead, he is considerate, sensitive, and serving. And the reasons or motivations that Peter gives for this behavior is twofold. First, they are the weaker partner. Wow. Ha! I know, I was waiting for that. We had some discussion about that in in around the staff this week. So how so? How is she the weaker partner? I mean, many philosophers, moralists, and Jewish teachers complained in that day about the moral and intellectual weaknesses of women. Some referred to the weaknesses of their bodies. Now, the Greek word translated weaker here is a general term referring to all kinds and various kinds of weakness. One, physical weakness, even speaks of Christ being weak in that sense, taking on weakness. It can be a special form of weakness as sickness, It can be inner poverty or or an incapacity, or it can be economic weakness as well. I think Peter is probably making a general statement, physically, socially, economically. They are weaker. Yet his point is that whatever the perceived weakness may be, it is good reason to show them more respect, not less. That's Peter's point. So, you know, when Elaine and I go walking, I happen to walk at different speed than she does. I'm not always very good at accommodating to the speed that she walks at. But as I was reading this, I thought I should. Then I remember there was an incident back early on in our marriage where I discovered that Elaine has a terrible terror of spiders. I was reminded of that because I was watching the news this week and one of the newscasters, you know, made a comment about another one in her terror of seeing a spider in the newsroom. And I had to learn to, it's not, you know, I said, it's not a really big deal. You shouldn't freak out about this. Guys, that did not work. (laughs) Bad idea. How does she perceive that, okay? And accommodate to that. Take care of it, right? It's important. Indeed, a a second reason also that he gives 
for treating them with consideration and respect is that they are equal before God. Which, by the way, ruins any argument of being inferior by nature, which was the norm in that day. It's like, no, we don't believe that one. Peter is also clear that a failure to treat one's spouse in this way, you know, by giving into a social tendency to demean or dominate or exploit one's wife. He's saying, if you, if you act the way that the world is acting in this regard, it's going to injure your relationship with God. It's going to hinder your prayers. Bad idea. And there's many exa- other examples of this. And so as Peter Davids puts it, commentator Peter Davids puts it, as the closest human relationship, the relationship to one's spouse, must be most carefully cherished if one wishes a close relationship with God. I like that word cherished. It's an old word, but it's often used in marriage vows, and I think that one should never go out of date. In verses 8 to 12, Peter sums up his ethical exhortation on how to live as a Christian in the world. And he does this by naming some general ethics for Christians in any situation. You know, relationship-enhancing ethics. And Peter encapsulates his summary with five adjectives, artfully arranged with philadelphioi. That is brotherly love. Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. That's the Greek word used here. And it's right in the center, if you can show that slide. We call this in Hebrew, it's it's a chiasm. That is, the emphasis is right in the middle. And it builds towards, and then it builds up towards that, and then it builds back away from that. And so that means that the uh, first and last adjectives speak of how one thinks. That is the top, be like-minded, and the bottom, and humble. And the second and fourth, how one, now not how one thinks, but how one feels. Be sympathetic and compassionate. And this will lead you to true brotherly and sisterly love. This is the heart, he says, of Christian community. But Peter is thinking of their usefulness, these principles, beyond the home, beyond the community, when he adds in verse 9 the command that Jesus himself gave, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. I guess he didn't really know Don Cherry. You know, Don Cherry was like, yeah, if they hit you, you've got to make sure you give them an ex- a hit back plus some extra to make sure, you know, you're on the right side of the ledger. Jesus Peter is quoting Jesus here. It's a direct quote of Jesus. And like Jesus said and did, his followers too are to repay evil with blessing. Because to this you were called, he says, that you may inherit a blessing. Because if you retaliate, you know what you, you reap? More retaliation. And Peter backs up this command And call to the good life with an extended quotation from Psalm 34. It's verses 8 to 12 is what he quotes there. And given the recent conflict, conflicts around the world that are quickly escalating, out of control, multiplying horrors. I thought of a a terrorist type attack that took place 17 years ago this month. 
On October 2nd, 2006, a gunman entered an Amish one-room schoolhouse in Nickel Mines, Pennsylvania, shooting 10 girls, killing five, then finally taking his own life. But the biggest headlines came when those who had lost so much reached out to the family of the shooter with comfort and forgiveness, recognizing that they were grieving as much as they were. And from the grace that that Amish, that the Amish showed that family, from day one to the visits they did and the ongoing care that have been given to them and reciprocal, a love and friendship has formed and been forged out of the fires of that tragedy. Uh, a wonderful book, I think it's in our library, called Amish Grace, written by uh, Donald Craybill and a few others. But there's also a book called Forgiven, written by Terry Roberts, the mother of the gunman. It, prevents an al- it presents an alternate narrative an alternate possibility to what is an instinctive response in the world. You know, there is a cost and a benefit, Peter is saying, of being positively influential. And with God's help, change can take place. I was reminded of uh, someone... uh, that I, I got to know over the years... Uh, whose, whose husband was not a believer. And, and we would pray together for Bernie. And I would say this woman modeled the kind of Christ-like character that, uh, you know, spoke well of her husband, and yet she longed for him to come to faith. And I thank God that I was able to be a part of that last chapter in his life. The last chapter of in his life when, uh, when he realized he is not going to recover and it was going to, into palliative care. And he came to faith in a wonderful way. Oh, we wished he had come to faith sooner. <laughs> Even he did. But it is a wonderful thing to see what God can do over time. And uh, I think of that as I was reading this text. And just as Peter applied biblical teaching to his cultural context, so we too must apply it to ours. You know, what does uh, being submissive look like? You know, being, what does modesty look like? Looks different in different cultures, right? And submissiveness does as well. What does it look like in a highly patriarchal culture versus a culture of maybe, I don't know what to call it, unrestrained feminism, where there's no differences and we, you know, we don't need one another? Instead of a battle of the sexes, the Bible is always counseling for a cooperation, a consideration, a mutual consideration, and a care. And it calls us to non-retaliation, whether it is, uh, you know, in the home or on a scale as big as the globe. Uh, I want to invite the worship team to come up, and as they're coming, uh, let's pray. Lord, we have heard in your word this morning some things that don't always sit well with us. 
which is a good thing. Because if we only accepted what sits well with us, we would never change to become the people that you have called us to become. And you don't call us to the easy way, you call us to the best way. To the way that you know that truly leads to good life, to abundant life. And Lord, today I want to thank you for that. I thank you that you didn't just give us these words, you modeled these words. In you paid the cost of reconciliation so that we might be reconciled to you and that we might become instead not those who retaliate, but those who join in your ministry of peacemaking and peace building. Lord, I pray for those who are in situations within their own homes where they are in desperate need of peacemaking and peace building. And I pray, Lord, that you would equip and empower them, that you would change hearts and minds. Lord, for those in conflict situations within the workplace, Lord, that you would empower and equip them to be peacemakers, that you, Lord, would do a change of heart or circumstances, that there would be an opportunity, Lord, that comes to be able to see your kingdom come in there. And Lord, we also lift up our world globally. We recognize and we see utter tragedies taking place. We see what a world bent on retaliation, that it just breeds more and more destruction and hatred. And we long for a better way. And so we pray, Lord, for believers on every side of the conflict, Lord, Oh, they need your power and strength. They need our support and our prayers, Lord, to be salt and light in these challenging times. And yet, Lord, we know that you are the one who can do it. And so, Lord, we continue to pray and come alongside and lift up. And Lord, may you teach us day by day how to do this for your glory and for the good of all people. Amen.